0: Hello and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Hody Nemus, a third-year rabbinical student at YCT Rabbinical School.
1: And I'm Michelle Friedman, Chair of Pastoral Counseling at YCT. In each episode of this podcast, we explore psychological insights gleaned from the Torah portion of the week. Today we're talking about Parshat Yigash. It's the next to the last portion in the Book of Horatius, Genesis. And our theme today is thinking about the power of ownership. So we're at the end of the story of Joseph and his brothers going down to Egypt, Joseph becoming Viceroy, and we're familiar with the story, which Hody is going to explain more, of seven-year cycles, cycles of, of plenty and of famine, and the power that that gives to the people who possess and the desperation of those who need. It's a volatile situation that certainly changes over time.
0: And, you know, this is sort of the climax, Michelle, of the story that most reads like a novel in, in Tanakh, which is, the you know, the Joseph cycle, um, and... The, it, it starts with the, that dramatic showdown between Yehuda and Yosef that, that results in, in Yosef finally cracking. You know He loses it and he reveals himself. And it seems like it's a story about a family reuniting, working out its emotional issues, uh, coming to Egypt. Jacob comes down with everyone. They come to Egypt, and it seems like this is going to be kind of a happily ever after. They settle in the land of Goshen. They get land. And they're, they're fed during a horrible famine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's how the Parsha ends, with, with Israel you know, in a very good spot. Um, they have what they need to eat. But along the way, there's a, there's a bit of a seeming footnote that actually has incredible power. And that is that as the famine progresses, what happens? The Egyptians give up their power and their land to Joseph.
1: They're increasingly desperate. They're starving.
0: Right. They are starving. They feel they have no choice. And uh, they come to Joseph. They ask for food. They,
1: initially, they pay for it. And let's not forget that Joseph, they know he's a Hebrew. And the Hebrews are despised by the Egyptians. But he holds the power now.
0: That's right. The
1: Hebrews are, are shepherds.
0: And yet now one of their numbers is, is viceroy. And it's Jesus. interesting
1: because the pharaoh gives the outsider this power, which right, right now everybody's desperate for food. So they're going to do anything. But they're also going to despise him. That's
0: right, because of because of his power. Mm-hmm. So when their money runs out, you know they they give up their their livestock and um, and eventually this is a, now I'm reading from uh, chapter forty seven verse eighteen. It says that um, they say basically we're not going to withhold to hide from you. Joseph, that our money and our livestock are gone. So all that remains is our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Acquire us and our land for bread. And Joseph, Joseph accepts their, right. their offer. And with that, they become serfs to Pharaoh
1: right. forever. Which is amazing when you think about it, because this is an economic and political moment Yes. Now, we tend to focus on the personal stories, but here Joseph is in charge of a massive land and human allocation project,
0: Huge. and
1: he could have come up with any other number of strategies. Right. Perhaps they a loan have, system. Yes, a loan <laughs> system, a credit union system, Subsidies a communist for, system, exactly. a socialist system, all sorts of things. Uh, there was the uh, opportunities for creativity are endless. But he comes up with a land appropriation system in exchange for food. Yes. So why, on a personal level, do we think he does this?
0: Well, one reason that might make sense is, A, he's trying to um, establish his own power in Egypt, right, and, and boost his power. And we know
1: that Joseph always had a thing about his own stature. Right. He always am- saw himself as ambitious. the sun and the moon. and this, uh, Right. Yeah. He's ambitious right. and he's...
0: Uh, he has without equal. That is correct. And he's also trying perhaps to help his family, that, make right. sure
1: they, they are fed, that they have food. Um, right. This is the ancient Near East. They are an outsiders. The Egyptians don't want to eat with them. Yes. And he is going to shore up their political power in a foreign land.
0: Yes. Now, we could read him more charitably, and, and most yes. of our tradition does, and say perhaps that... Uh, he thought this was the best way to save Egypt, you know, sure. t- a government uh, government ownership of everything, and, and the government will sort of distribute accordingly.
1: Absolutely. This is a, a time of, of probably tremendous anxiety, the people on the verge of rioting, exactly, and they need to have central control by a stable government that yes. will dole out the um, commodities, which are in short supply or limited supply, fairly, and they have to plan ahead because it's going to be seven years of famine. That's right. But
0: once you take control of people, right. you don't know what's going to happen—the ripple effects of that action—and what does happen, Michelle? Generally, they hate you. <laughs> yes. They hate you. Yes, exactly. And and. A few generations later.
1: We know what happens. What's going to happen in our next book here, in the book of Exodus? The Egyptians re-perpetrate what was done to them. That's right. They
0: enslaved the Hebrews, right? They were enslaved, and now they go along with Pharaoh's plan to enslave
1: the, 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 the those who don't have uh, power among them, the Hebrews. That's right. We don't have any history about how this happens. We don't know what the gradient is exactly. from being the guys on top to being enslaved, but we do know that it happens. I'm thinking about the verse that you read about the negotiation for land and food. And it's a whittling down kind of negotiation. And actually, as we were preparing for this, I was reminded of another negotiation in the book of Genesis when Abraham negotiates with God in Vayera about Sodom and Gomorrah, When Abraham says, wait a second, God, you're about to destroy these cities. What if there are some righteous people there? What if I find you those righteous people? And God and Abraham negotiate down from 50 to 10. If Abraham can find 10 righteous people, God won't destroy the cities.
0: And so too here, we see that there's a negotiation process from
1: money to livestock to land to to ourselves, our bodies, our... Right, our, so they're almost going like the negotiation process feels similar, but the end result, the yes. actual core of it, is the opposite. A hundred percent, because the Avraham story
0: is about protecting innocent individuals, the power of individuals who are righteous. And this is about sort of progressive erasure of the individual, right. progressive enslavement, pushing the individual into an enslaved collective. Right. Um... And, and that is what tends to happen in these um, societies, especially in, in the ancient world, but even today, where there's a powerful leader um, which, who has control over uh, you know, the organs of, uh, of the state. And you know, Benjamin Franklin actually cited this at the Constitutional Convention, this example of, of Joseph and Pharaoh. And he said, there is scarce a king in a hundred who would not, if he could, follow the example of Pharaoh, and I would add of Joseph, Get first all the people's money, then all their lands, then make them and their children servants forever.
1: Wow. That's amazing. But what's even more amazing is what the Torah does with this whole negotiation thing and with these seven-year cycles. Because rather than re-perpetuating trauma and more and more cycles of whittling down and of despair, what does the Torah do?
0: The Torah creates a, a break in the cycle. It tries to prevent Israel from re-perpetrating what was done to it, the enslavement, from re-perpetrating that onto the vulnerable in Israel society. And here I draw on Rabbi Jeremy Benstein, who's the head of the, uh, the Heschel Center uh, and Environmental Organization Israel, who uh, had the insight that essentially the Shemitah cycle, the seven-year cycle of um, six years you, you till the land, in the seventh you let it lie fallow, in the seventh, you also forgive debts and uh, and slaves go free.
1: And that cycle prevents uh, a permanent underclass exactly, from developing.
0: Exactly. So seven years that frees society, that frees the vulnerable, as opposed to seven years that enslaves the the vulnerable. And he argues, I think very persuasively, that the story, the backstory to Shemitah, every, every holiday, every time-related uh cycle in Judaism has a backstory. And this is Shemitah's backstory, the story of Joseph's enslavement of of Egypt.
1: So one of the things that we see and something that we stress in the YCT pastoral counseling program is that individual psychodynamics really play out over and over again to the family and to the larger collective. And in order to understand what happens on the biggest national and international level, we need to understand what's going on in our own hearts and minds. And so it's so important for rabbis, educators, people who work in community, who are going to be dealing with groups to understand what's going on individually.
0: And I think we see in our current political moments so well that underlying a lot of uh, political opinions is emotion and psychology and, and people's previous traumas and experiences. And I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that, for example, after being really br- treated quite cruelly by the Allies after the end of World War One, Germany, you know, through the Treaty of Versailles is well documented, was starved of food and of resources. A lot of people died needlessly, and they felt humiliated and ended up essentially re-perpetrating at a much worse scale in, in World War II, and, and that doesn't in any sense justify their um, their behavior, but I think it explains... At least in some part. It's in some, some of the roots of it. Yes, yes. And
1: then we can see that in some of the efforts after World War II to rebuild Europe, let's say with the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan.
0: What an good. excellent example of yeah. breaking a cycle of perpetration. Right. Sending, a kind of
1: Shemitah effort.
0: Yes. Yes, sending money to those who you didn't need to, who who didn't have power, but doing it because you you care about um, you care about creating a peaceful society and you care about the the rights of the individual. So, we've talked today about how individual psychology, on a societal scale, can have massive consequences and can lead to the rise and fall of empires, to enslavement, and really. The rest of the Torah is going to be, in, in broad strokes, devoted to the idea of creating a society that treats its citizens, and especially its most vulnerable... With dignity. With dignity. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.